We all know that developing a great game is one thing, but developing a great game business can be something else entirely. That's why some of the top game developers in the industry use Iron Source's game growth platform to turn their amazing games into amazing game businesses. Now, when it comes to content, these guys don't mess around. You may have heard of the Level Up podcast and Medium blog, which feature game industry experts talking all things game design, development, and growth. Head to ironsource.com to learn more. That's www.ironsrc.com. Thanks. This podcast episode is also brought to you by AppsFlyer. Most of you are familiar with AppsFlyer. It's perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive marketing success. AppsFlyer allows comprehensive measurement and analytics that help you to optimize the end-to-end player journey from acquisition to retention, from ROI to LTV. In practice, this means filtering cohorts of installs and then retargeting those cohorts with personalized experience based on engagement and in-app events. AppsFlyer also offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for bogus traffic. Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Roblox, Square Enix, and Huge are among the many games companies that all use AppsFlyer to boost their business. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution data you can trust. Thanks. Welcome, everyone. Today, we are talking social casino. And joining us today to talk about this genre are arguably two of the best people, in my opinion, in the world to offer us their pithy insights on what's happening in this category. First, we have Brett Nowak, CEO of firm Liquid and Grit. In my opinion, the best mobile gaming market research report on the market. And just so you guys know, uh, a big Bill Belichick fan. (laughs) (laughs) And we also are joined by Lloyd Melnick, former executive having worked on Social Casino at Zynga and Stars. And currently, Lloyd, you're at Chumba Casino currently, right? And also involved with Merca? Yeah, I'm on Merca's board, thanks. Great. And so I thought we could go ahead and dive right in and then we can kind of do intros in a bit, but just kind of starting in terms of the discussion, I thought we could first start by asking about, since it's so relevant and timely right now, the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on the category. So in terms of the current impact and potential impact as if we potentially go into recessionary or a depressionary scenario, what do you guys think is the impact of coronavirus on social casino? So what we've seen so far is initially it was a big influx in players, probably you know driven by two things. One is influx of people forced to play more games, forced to stay at home, and then also all the land-based casinos closing. Uh, initially, it probably didn't translate one-to-one into revenue, but you're seeing it's almost a lagging impact, and you are seeing that effect. So in the slot space, I you know, very roughly, it's looking like about a 20% increase. It's been bigger for some companies, especially kind of the bigger ones and the ones who have more of the uh, real real life content uh, that people would expect in a casino. Uh, but it's actually been, the impact's been huge in poker world, uh, both in real money where, you know, I saw friends from poker stars and everything and in social, uh, you're seeing 50, 100% growth there. And My hypothesis is that you just have people looking for a social experience. You can still play with your friends. Playing poker is a much more social sport than uh, slots is. Uh, But it's been incredible what it's done to the poker world uh, online. Yeah, and when you say growth, that's downloads, those numbers you're talking about, right, Lloyd? 
just to be clear. Well, the twenty percent we're we're actually seeing that now go down go down into the bottom line into revenue. Yeah. Uh, initially, it was downloads, but now we're seeing it uh, translate into rev. Yeah, and on our side, we're seeing the same thing. I mean, the the force isolation and the impact to the real world slots, um, casinos, and everything have been somewhat tremendous for the social casino world. I mean, it's up in terms of downloads, as Lloyd mentioned, and revenue um, in slots, uh, bingo and poker. In our last report, we actually just included some numbers on that, 7% in revenue quarter of quarter for slots, 17% for bingo, and uh, we saw seven and a half quarter of quarter. This is just revenue for poker, but as Lloyd alluded, the revenue will be lagging of the downloads and the downloads are up tremendously. So uh, I, I think those are the numbers, the 20%, let's see, yeah, it's 28 in slots, 30 in poker and 18 in bingo in terms of quarter quarter downloads. And that was only obviously half of the quarter impact because much of the isolation happened sort of later in the quarter. So it's actually been very, very positive for the social casino market. And do you guys think this is a longer term boost to social casino if people kind of that normally wouldn't have played these games and would have gone to the casino, but now they get used to it. Do you think they go back to the casino even after coronavirus longer term or what are your longer term impact predictions? So that's the million dollar question. Uh, and you can make arguments either way. Uh, so I th- and what, you know, one argument is exactly what you've been saying is that we're going to be able to hold on to a lot of these players. They've been land-based casino players. Uh, now that they've seen what's available in the social casino world, uh, they're going to stay playing on social casino. It won't be at the levels it's at now. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention earlier is we saw a huge pop in revenue right after the stimulus checks came out. No. Uh, that's a one-time thing. Right. Yeah, it, it, it brought mixed feelings. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> open. Uh, so, uh, but it, it really, it, 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 it's driven the revenue and that probably wouldn't show up in the quarterly numbers because that was in April. Um, but that's really driven the revenue. That's a one-time thing. So, you know, a lot of these players are now exposed to social and in many ways social is a better experience than land-based you have a bigger variety of games you have i hate the word gamification but i'll use it now because i can't think of anything but you have the metagame features you have all the all the things that the product managers have been able to put in that makes the uh, makes the product more compelling that you you don't have in a land-based casino progression all, uh, all of those great things uh, so on the one hand you know, I, I think it permanently or long term will lift us up the counterforce, the one that we really don't know is the macroeconomic impact. You know, right. we're looking at what, 30%, maybe even 30 plus percent unemployment. Um, yeah, if the entire economy contracts, uh, we're talking this is you know, much more than kind of your typical economic downturn or recession, where usually entertainment is counter cyclical. If you know, if people are unemployed, they're not going to be able to purchase in a social casino game. If this lasts long term, uh, then it could you know, bring down everything, and social casino will just not be strong enough to uh, ride it out. I think what you know the smart companies are doing now is looking at how you're going to consolidate those gains. So, for example, one of the companies I'm involved with, we've refocused our entire VIP team in not necessarily managing the current VIPs, but identifying these this new cohort of VIPs 
the one who yeah, effectively are probably the land-based casino players who are now looking for an alternative and treating them and giving them VIP treatment, even though they haven't had time to reach true VIP levels. So they know what it's like to be a VIP in a social casino. We're rushing out some loyalty features. I think we're not, we're not unique in that. Uh, you know, I think the smart, uh, smart social casinos are going to do the same thing, try to lock in as much of the gains as possible. It is going to go back to, there's going to be a new normal. The question is, does it, do we lose all of the gains and everyone just goes back to their old habits? Are we able to lock in some of them? I think we're somewhere in between there. And then the macro factor over that is just how bad the economic carnage is after this. Yeah, my own hypothesis in terms of like what you're speaking to with respect to new normal and given the current potentially recessionary, depressionary types of scenarios is that you have to shift your game if you want to maximize res revenue to higher conversion, lower well behavior, so lower ARPU-PU. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's going to help some of these games increase revenue over time. But that's just my own hypothesis. Well, it's actually what we're seeing. So our VIP revenue is relatively flat. It's our, what we call premium tiers and core tiers. So it's the non-VIP players. Uh, in part, just talking to our VIP team, our VIPs have been hit hard by this. A lot of them are kind of, you know, wealthy entrepreneurs or sole practitioner type businesses. And, you know, some of them have just been very vulnerable. Uh, whereas the mass space, you have a lot of people who, can spend an extra twenty, fifty, hundred dollars. So we're seeing exactly what you're predicting. Great. So just kind of getting a higher level picture in terms of the category, and certainly. Well, I, I would, Joseph, I actually want okay. to jump in here because yeah, I actually yeah. disagree a little bit with some okay. of your predictions. Uh, I'm more <laughs> bullish on the market, so okay. I'm gonna heat this up. Let's get this going. Guys. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 more bullish on it. You know, I so. I think in the short term, obviously, we're seeing this spike. I think we're gonna, it's going to decline a little bit, as it has in the past when we've seen unexpected spikes, right? When get new games come out that introduce new players to social gaming in general or new platforms or whatever, it'll, it'll flatten out a little bit, which we're already seeing, but it'll be a higher level, a higher baseline level. I think it's going to sustain, I'm barely confident it's going to sustain the six to 18 months because I just don't feel like people are going to want to go back to the real money casinos. They're not going to want to travel. If it's not forced isolation, it's going to be some type of selective isolation or preferred isolation, right? I mean, you're just talking about how many, how many people over 60 are going to want to be flying to Las Vegas for the next two years until we have a vaccine for this. I mean, I'm not, I can only imagine that that's going to be massively decreased. So you're going to see those players sustain for, again, I think that's six to 18 months at the minimum. Mm -hmm. Then, then you have that period for social casino games to do what, as Lloyd mentioned, is to just basically convince them that the social experience is a better experience. Right which I think does happen. We've interviewed whales from different games and social casino, and that's been their take away from, from playing and living in Las Vegas. We interview a lot of people who live in Las Vegas and they don't even go to any of the strip because they prefer now the mobile experience. So I think that'll help sustain the revenue. I also think that the recession will actually help social gaming and uh, social casino and even mobile gaming. We're already seeing that. Um, if you look at, there was a New York Times article that just launched in terms of U.S. spending increases and decreases, the top two things that people increase their spending on were 
uh, groceries, so online grocery and gaming. And they were basically neck and neck in terms of the most increased in spend. Um, so then there's good reason for it. Um, gaming is, I think, if not the best, one of the best, I would put, you know, top three best entertainment sources per dollar in the right. world. Yeah. So I think that you, people are going to be, want to be entertained. Entertainment isn't something that is that people turn off or on. I mean, that in particularly in a recession when they're at home and, or if they don't have a job, they're going to want to be distracted even more. The stimulus checks will, will obviously help those short-term bumps or whatever. And then if they're in unemployed, the un, unemployment checks will, you know, sadly also help as well. But the, the more expensive entertainment sources, which, are basically, I mean, anecdotally, I can tell you that we spend much more on other sources than, and even the streaming, if you add up all the streaming ends up being a hundred dollars or $150, a gaming, you can spend five, 10, 15, $20 a month on and get almost near endless amount of entertainment from an unbelievable experience from a game that that's higher or the same quality as a movie or any other source of entertainment. So I'm, I'm much more bullish than a lot of people out there. I, and um, I, I think that this is going to be very impactful, not to mention introducing more and more people to gaming in general, making mobile gaming just more part of our culture and less of this niche type of thing that we've thought it as. So that's my... Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> ah, let's go. All right. So <laughs> maybe just taking a step back and just looking at the the social casino category kind of higher level. I think, so there was this boost from coronavirus and the current situation, but like before that, could we talk about how was the category generally performing? You know, when we think about some of the news in the fairly recent past, we've, we've seen some moves such as huge diversifying from social casino. Similarly with Playtica, for example, when they acquired Seriously. So based on the interpretation of some of the moves that the bigger players were making and some of their actions, it would seem that maybe social casino was not as attractive as a category as before. Or could you guys help us understand how we should be interpreting some of that news and just the general performance of the category generally? I was just going to say, I think it's it's not as sexy as it used to be. It's not the huge growth engine. It was maybe four or five years ago, which was driving all the M&A activity in the space. But it was it's still growing. Yeah, it's probably you know high single digits growth. Uh, what what I found most interesting, and you know, it's probably one of the reasons that you have seen the huges and the platicas diversify out of it. Most of the growth has been coming out of better monetization of existing players. You're not seeing the DAU, the category, growing in terms of users, but you have been seeing steady growth overall and growth from you know, probably the savvier companies, the, the Playtikas, the Product Madness, uh, you know, I'll put a plug in for Merca. Uh, but a, large, a lot of that of is they've been doing that with really good product management, improving the, you know, features and everything. Uh, much of the DAU has been, you know, coming from, you know, if one company grows, they're probably taking it from someone else. It hasn't been that they've been able to grow the category. And that's what's made it a little less sexy, probably on the M&A front, why people haven't been coming into it at the below they were, you know, at say 2015, 2016. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I mean, I think it is sexy. I would personally want to have a top grossing casino app right now. I mean, but it, it's it's less sec- because they're so consistent, right? And, and they're what McKinsey or whatever consulting firm created it would be like the cash cow, right? So they're a great thing to have in a company because they allow you to go out there and invest in new and in new things and diversify like you're seeing and what you're referencing because you have this stable revenue source that is not likely to go away anytime soon. So I think it's been this way for a while. It's a difficult place to break into for obvious reasons, not featuring it's they're, they're difficult apps to create. They're niche. You have to have a very specific skill set to create them. But if you do break in, and every couple of years we do see a company break in, like we have in the past two years, and we did four years ago or five years ago with Huge, and we did before that with Merca, every couple of years there is a new entrance into the, the market. It's few and far between, but when they do enter, I mean, they obviously become huge winners. So um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult place, but it's, it's, it's kind of sexy in a, in a slow moving, very steady and consistent way. Got it. And so I thought we could just take a quick break from the discussion to go over your backgrounds and intros. And Lloyd, maybe starting with you, could you tell us a little bit about your career? Yeah, so I've been in the gaming space, I was actually figuring it out today because it's been too many years to remember, <laughs> since 1993. So I've been in the gaming space from the old CD-ROM days of packaged goods to the download games that you would see, see on a real networks or on Big Fish to when social gaming first started to take off. Uh, and yeah, I had started a company in 93. Uh, we then sold that company when social gaming took off to Playdom. For those of you who remember social gaming, Playdom was kind of the uh, Zynga of MySpace, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, it, it was acquired by Disney after that. So I was at Disney a while, ended up going into social casino. Uh, and there was a company, a social casino company I was acquired by Zynga, uh, worked at uh, helped start up, uh, Zynga already obviously was huge in social casino on the poker side. Uh, I, I was uh, one of the uh, senior people over at Hit a Rich, which became their big slots offering and it's now kind of blossomed into that uh, the whole uh, Zynga social casino space. Uh, got a, uh, Then moved over to run social at Poker Stars as they were moving from real money into social and a year ago went over to VGW to run their Chumba Casino product, which is a social casino with a uh, sweepstakes offering. So it's sort of like uh, Slotomania meets Publishers Clearinghouse. All right, Brett? Yeah, I, I haven't been in gaming as long as Lloyd, but I've been in gaming for, geez, now it's got to be 13, 14 years, which is kind of incredible. I, I was in Seattle. I worked for Pete Parsons for a little bit, who is the CEO of Bungie Studios, and that sort of introduced me to gaming. And then I went to business school at Dartmouth Business School Tuck and landed at, at the time, a, a relatively unknown company in San Francisco called Zynga as an intern and ended up actually staying there pre-IPO, working there, and then uh, working there for almost two years, had a great experience at Zynga, and then moved on to a smaller gaming company, Blue Shell Games, to be their director of product. I was uh, in Zynga Poker, uh, lead product manager of revenue. And then when I was at both those companies, I felt like there wasn't a lot of support for product managers and we were doing a lot to cover the market, learn what's driving revenue, learn what's happening on the platforms and whatnot. And so based on that, I decided to start my own company, Liquid and Grit, that 
supplies, product managers, product owners, game designers, VPs with monthly reports and tools to better manage their games and increase their revenue. So that's kind of my short version of, of my gaming experience. Awesome. So going back to the discussion, Brett, you and I kind of worked uh, together on a, uh, on a social casino project a number of years back. And at least at that time, when I was in terms of the slots market, at the time, it seemed like if we were to categorize that market, you would think about it as sort of land-based games, which were the, the slots games that were as similar to the you know, land-based real-life games as possible, the social-focused games like the Big Fish casinos, and then the kind of an emerging new category at the time, RPG progression. So there was Mercus Scatter Slots. I don't know if that category has expanded or not, but in terms of slots, since it's the biggest category within social casino, can you guys help us understand how we should be kind of characterizing the various categories there? Is that still the sort of categorization or was that not the categorization? What do you guys think? It's probably very subjective. The way I probably look at it, it's not that different. But instead of RPG, I'd almost say linear or progression-based slots. So you have a game like, uh, you know, you know uh, the Game of Thrones title that recently came out. Pharaoh's Way was one of the ones in the early days, as well as uh, Scatter Slots. So you kind of have you know, a, a game that's more of a, a game. Uh, then you have kind of the lobby-based, which you could be either two ways, kind of a locked lobby, uh, which was most most products, be it, you know, Jackpot Party or, uh, you know, uh, one of the aristocrat games, uh, where you, you know, open it up, you start with three or five slots and you've progressed through that. And then you had the open lobby, which kind of doubled down, made famous. Um, I think when, when a few years ago, you were probably right in the uh, distinction between the ones that had a more of a real money feel and the ones that had more of a socially feel. Um, I think now most of the slots, the quality has gone up where they're as good or better than what you see in the land-based or the uh, real money world in Europe. Uh, maybe the other category that's evolved, you, know, you mentioned Big Fish and you know, at the time and for years, I always considered it just an outlier. It was a product in and of itself uh, because the slots were kind of awful compared to everyone else, yet the ARP DAO and the performance was great. Uh, and then you, but now you have huge and you have some other companies. So I would consider those like truly social products that are, by the way, a casino. They're almost like Facebook, uh, Facebook meets slots. Uh, so now I guess to summarize, kind of going back to what you're saying, you still have the linear ones, you have, and you still have ones doing really well. You know, scatter slots continues to, but you know, like Game of Thrones, I think is the, uh, you know, big, one of the biggest new products. Uh, then you have kind of the lobby-based ones, and then I would say you have the uh, the ones that are, you know, across between a social network and a slot. Uh, that's not an official destination, and I'm probably the only person who would break them down that way. I'm, I'm actually really interested to hear what Brad has to say, how he. Uh, how he splits out the category. I think that's a pretty good summary of the category. I mean, I, you, the land-based content machines, the, I mean, slots games, that's one. The progression, which you mentioned, is more of that slot of mania type feel. Then we have the, I mean, RPG progression. I mean, Merca would probably just be standing there by itself with that one game so that would be somewhat of a smaller subgenre. 
And then I, the other that I added were the real world prize games, which was really kind of owned by play studios and VGW has tapped into that in their own way as well. And then probably a smaller subset of the real money gaming is the classic machines, the the classic, sorry, the classic apps, which would be like the DGNs and the, the the rocket or pen slash pen international now owned um apps would be sort of like the five the big five that i would probably categorize as yeah okay great so kind of maybe moving on a closely related category to social casino is real money gaming can you guys talk about maybe you know some thoughts in terms of how how that category is doing and then more about the potential impact of real money gaming to social casino I think it's the latter that's probably the most interesting. So real money gaming, obviously, it's it's legal in, in Europe. It's regulated in Europe. Uh, and numbers-wise, social casino had the market share or the growth in Europe that it has in the U.S. So you know, correlation does not prove causality. There could be a lot of different factors. Most of the social casino companies are American. The uh, slot mechanics play much better for an American audience. So that might not be the case. Uh, but you know, before coronavirus, you already had several states opening up on, uh, for online casinos. So you had New Jersey, Nevada, Delaware, which were the original ones, but now Pennsylvania and Michigan. And that, that was actually a big change with Pennsylvania and Michigan opening up because uh, they've seen phenomenal growth on real money. So just uh, this week, I think Stars Group announced that they have a 27% uh, increase on uh, their quarterly earnings. And some of it was coronavirus driven, but that was also negated to a degree by the loss from uh, sports. So a lot of that growth is from the U.S. because their other markets are really flat. Real money gaming is a very mature market in Europe, uh, which, you know, so they're seeing, you know, states like Michigan and Pennsylvania really pick up the slack uh, for what they're uh, losing everywhere else. And that's only two states, but between Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, you're talking three to 13 largest states. Uh, that has to cut into social casino revenue at some point. You know, these are, you know, the, the biggest VIPs in social casino are ones who spend time at land-based casinos. It's probably why we're seeing this strong growth now uh, due to coronavirus and the casinos being closed. Uh, will those people continue to migrate over and learn how great social casino is when they have a real money option and real money companies are literally spending hundreds of billions of dollars on user acquisition. You know, even if they, even if we're able to keep the LTVs as they are in social, you know, it might become unaffordable to acquire players. Uh, so I, I, I see it as a potentially you know, big impact. And then kind of going to that first uh, you know, comment about how coronavirus impacts it. Well, you know, Every state is going to be spending a ton to spend its way. I mean, we already see it with the stimulus package to see to get see its way out of this recession. I think that's just how the government is planning on reacting. We're already seeing that across the world. If governments are spending at the levels that they're spending, they're going to be looking for revenue. And gaming is a huge revenue source already for New Jersey. Pennsylvania is getting addicted to it. And the European countries are. So does that mean the New Jersey, I mean, the New Yorks, the Californias start opening it up? You get a much broader acceptance of real money gaming in the U.S. And then it does become a true competitor to social. The good news for social operators is you look at DraftKings and FanDuel when real money opened up. Those are the top one and two sports betting companies now because they have the brand recognition. So does that mean Platika, Aristocrat, 
um, you know, all of the uh, social companies are then going to be able to either form partnerships with or get acquired by real money companies uh, because of the crossover in their player base. It's probably a bigger opportunity than is a negative, but I think it is going to be a, a huge impact on the social casino world in the next two, three, four years. I don't know if I, um, well, a couple, two things. One is I think that I, I, I'm not as worried about the real money gaming impact in social. I mean, just because if you, if you look back at sort of like Black Friday, for example, in the U.S. when poker was made illegal, I mean, that wasn't like a massive growth opportunity for Zynga poker or, or social poker in general. So you didn't see them just like jump over to social and at this point it's been long enough that if you've, you're a social player you're probably still going to be a social player even if i mean you're not you haven't been sitting around for five years waiting for real money to come back you've probably figured out some way to be you know pretend like you're in some other country and you're gambling already and i i generally just don't feel like those those players are overlapping with the social that that was already established I actually think it's more, so I'm not as concerned about that. Um, obviously the competition, the UA dollars is going to be, is going to be something um, that would be a negative. I think the, the biggest positive for me is, is where our society draws the line in the sand as to what is appropriate for online gaming. And without having real money gaming in us, the next, the next, thing in line was honestly social casino or, you know, pretty, pretty much next. Right. And the reintroduction of real money gaming has basically drawn that moved that line in the sand further away from social casino. And in that way, I think it's actually de-risk social casino tremendously. And that I think that's a positive, right? Because these, these black swan events can be positive and negative. And I'm, I'm often writing about this, these concerns, one being platform concerns, the other that's been really fairly scary or important for social casino has been government concerns. We've seen stuff in Washington. We've seen, we've seen stuff just in gaming in general, loot boxes in Europe and beyond. Um, and that rhetoric, that voice of, of, of government basically, or of society switches and goes back and forth and the introduction of real money gaming kind of like moves it away from from social gaming um so in that way i think it's very positive so maybe we can now talk trends and brent i know you track features but whether it's from like a feature perspective like newer trends from features or bigger like macro trends it'd be interesting to see what your thoughts are in terms of where the market is headed and then what do you guys think are like the key bases of competition moving into the future? Well, we already hit on the growth in the market and the, you know, that being obviously a trend in terms of the new entrance, as I mentioned before, there's every couple of years, despite what all the analysts say and how difficult it is every couple of years, there's a new company that jumps into the space and, and grows pretty massively. I mean, we're seeing it now with bowl games. I mean, they've entered the market and they have now two apps in the top 25 grossing and they're crushing it. They're growing massively quarter over quarter. We saw it a couple of years ago with huge. We saw it with rocket games. We saw it with Merca. We saw it, um, you know, so we've seen it happen and it doesn't happen as maybe often. Cause you don't have, again, you don't have featuring, by Apple. So you don't have that like shooting star moment where people just come out of nowhere, but you do have, 
you do have new entrants come in. I think your question of how do they approach this market was the follow-up. And I think what we've seen in the market of people who've been successful is they've been very positionally focused, meaning they've targeted a certain app or apps and gone after them directly. A huge casino did that with Big Fish. W did that against Double Down. We're seeing Bull do that against Slotomania and other Playtika apps. Uh, so, I mean, it's as Lloyd mentioned earlier, it's it's a bit of a red ocean strategy where if you're going to enter the market, like you better be ready to go and take some players from somebody else. And that's and that's I think that's actually just generally the mindset that you probably should have if you're entering mobile gaming in in any genre. But in casino, I think it's it's even a little bit more appropriate. Brett, so just to follow up on that, when we're talking like specific product trends, it isn't so much that there are new features or new new kind of product strategy, but it's looking at existing games and doing what they're already doing a little bit better with a new product. Is that the right way to think about it? If you're entering the market, that's what you're at. I mean, there, there's, there's actually a lot more innovation, product innovation in casino okay. than people in the outside world think. I mean, we, I, I actually didn't think that until we started covering puzzle and RPG. And I, and I actually think that casino is right up there, if not ahead of those other genres yeah, in terms sure. of innovation. I, yeah. It actually has been really surprising. Um, I thought, wow, you know, RPG is super innovative. It has all these like amazing mechanics and puzzle as all this stuff. Casino does a lot. And I might be biased because I've been in casino longer, but I, I really don't think so. I mean, they actually have the ability to innovate, I think, even more. And I was on Zinger Poker and experienced this because you have such a consistent revenue source. It actually allows you to spend more time with ideas that are somewhat like out there. Whereas these other genres are, are much more of a content cadence and they're just so much more resources focused on like getting out the next, um, the next whatever it is that they got to get out for content. Um, whereas in, in casino, it's pretty established what the content is. It's slot machines or, or it's poker or it's a bingo, you know, a new bingo room. So um, I think in terms of your answering your question, we've categorized sort of like two approaches that we've seen. One being the focused approach. This is for the, the red ocean strategy focus, meaning like you're going to take an existing app that's out there and you're going to give a simplified version of it. We saw this with poker heat uh, relative to Zynga poker. Um, that's a great example of it. Um, the other is what we call the plus one, which is you take a existing app and you tweak one thing, but you offer a lot of what they have. And we're seeing that with bowl games against like Sodomania. And as much as some people might want to think bowl games isn't innovative, when you do go look at their machines and their content, they're not just fast following the Sodomania and other apps in there. They're, they're doing a lot of the same things, but they are definitely tweaking them, iterating on them and changing things to see what players like in addition to what they're already getting. So those are the really the red ocean strategies that we see be successful in the market. Yeah, I, I agree with Brett. I mean, I think because it is so much of a red ocean, it's driving some of the these features and and some of the uh, some of these innovations that Brett mentioned. Because it's the only way you can grow. Uh, and as we were saying earlier, the market is growing. It's growing because they are getting better at monetization, but they're getting better at monetization by putting in better features. It's really the only way to grow. But the market's big enough that it justifies the investment. It's bringing in a lot of the top product talent. And it is, you know, it's an arms race with some very well-armed companies. Uh, 
my only th uh, other thing here is, you know, we're talking a lot about red ocean, and I think it is a, it is a red ocean, but this is where I, I know Brett will disagree. But you do have products like a CoinMaster that takes some casino mechanics and almost create, you know, maybe it's a totally different category. Uh, and I do think that's going to continue also. I think, you know, underlying gaming mechanics drive a lot. A, they're very good at monetization, and B, they've just, they've been around over 100 years. You know, they, they hit on things that are very important to people. So taking the core of social casino mechanics, slot mechanics, or a poker mechanic, it lends itself to creating another really compelling game, 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 game type, like, again, like CoinMaster. And, you know, I think CoinMaster now would probably be the number two social casino if it's classified in that category. Uh, I would classify it there. Others wouldn't. But even if it's not, I think you're going to see more game mechanics borrowed from social casino and maybe merged with RPG or other gaming categories uh, you know, to create great new products. Do you count them as social casino products? Do you not count them? It doesn't really matter. Uh, but you are going to see new products coming out that generate a ton of revenue uh, that are based on social casino mechanics, in my opinion. Yeah, I would actually agree with that, Lloyd. And I think that's what's, what's so hard about being an analyst in this market is that most of the significant growth is driven by things that are completely unexpected. And the, the COVID-19 being a clear example of that. And then the next game like CoinMaster or whatever it is, is going to be the next example of that. That's going to be nearly impossible to predict. Merca did that with the, their games. I mean, no one would have predicted, well, no one but Merca would have predicted that their games would have worked. So I do agree. I was just kind of giving the examples. I think the red, the red ocean strategies are probably safer bets, but the, I mean, there is opportunity to, to grow the market and use the mechanics that are so proven um, and, um, and implement them in a different way. And I will call out too, I mean, we're just kind of focusing on slots. I mean, the bingo market has had very strong growth late, lately and we're seeing like new entrants come in with tons of new innovations that are... Um About new game releases, Lloyd, you had mentioned Game of Thrones by Zynga. Could you talk about some of the more notable recent launches and how they've been doing? Actually, I probably defer to Brett because okay. you know, Game of Thrones is the one that I'm very aware of and it's been doing right. very well. Uh, you know, but uh, it has been, you know, except for the couple of exceptions that Brett mentioned earlier, it has been a relatively stable business. You know, the top 10, you know, you might have one change every two years. Yeah, I mean, the, the, like it's exactly, I mean, in every two years there's a new entrant, but it, it, it takes two years in social games. So it's a little bit, actually, I don't even know. I mean, if you look at puzzle, I'm trying to think of what we've seen in puzzle be the new, like the new company in that market, but bowl games being the newest in social casino. I mean, they've come out with two games that are now top 25 cash frenzy and lots of slots they have a just tremendous production team i mean they're out of china and they're cranking out content and features and events i mean just unbelievable output of content um and that's again they're they're competing on the plus one strategy i mean they're they're getting heavily influenced by what's already out there and then tweaking things but they they have a just an, an amazing output um and so they're growing massively in the market 
Final question then, in terms of like, if we were to speculate a bit in terms of the social casino category, do you guys have any specific predictions for whether it's the rest of 2020 or 2021? What, what, what happens from, from here on out? And also maybe if you have any controversial or, or surprising predictions, I'd love to hear you know, what, what you guys think. I think there's what? enough data and, oh, I'm sorry, uh, no, go right, ahead, Brett. No, you I was going to say, sorry. I think there's enough data in history that it's, it, it probably won't be that surprising. You're going to okay. see growth, uh, I think because of COVID, as we were talking at, at the beginning, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to spike. It's going to, there's going to be a new normal. Is it going to be, you know, so instead of seeing that single digit growth, you'll probably see something in the teens. Uh, and I do agree with Brett. It will sustain, uh, you know, it will, probably won't sustain at the level it's at now, but it'll, you know, as I said, probably end up in, maybe end up in the teens. Uh, I can't, I'm not going to try to predict the macroeconomic uh, factors. Uh, yeah, yeah. As we were just saying, someone will come out of the blue, and there will be another rel you know, a new company in the top ten, um, you know, who wasn't there before, uh, you know, but just one in the next couple of years. Uh, I don't think I, I'd be surprised if you see more than one or two big M and A transactions. The space does seem to have been cooled off. Uh, you, you know. I, again, I'd, I'd be surprised. There might be someone who tries to move in, as, as we said earlier. You have kind of the different parts of the social casino space. So it's maybe someone who's uh, doesn't have one of the progression slots, wants to acquire one of the companies that is strong in that area uh, to round out their portfolio, especially if they can't grow. But you'll you'll see. You know, it it, it it's like Brad was saying earlier. It's it's not. Yeah, it's exciting in that it's not exciting. It's it's good, strong, consistent growth, which you know even before the last few months was something you know most uh, CEOs would get excited about. You're going to continue to see it. It's a good category. It's going to continue to grow. Uh, it's going to continue to grow largely because of monetization. But now we are going to see a spike in new users from uh, from the virus, and I think that will sustain. Um, but you know, it, it is a red ocean, so you're not going to see any fundamental changes in terms of product, in terms of user activity uh, in the next couple of years, in my opinion. Great. Yeah, I would agree with, with what Lloyd said. I, I mean, a couple maybe controversial things. I think the, the companies in Social Casino are going to con continue to do very well just because they have this cash cow and they are fairly very innovative companies. I mean, I would put Playtica up there as one of the most innovative mobile gaming companies in the world. Um, and they're not going to sit around and not figure out how to grow. I mean, you're already seeing it with their M&A and they also have divisions that are experimenting in other genres. And so I think they're well positioned to grow because they can afford to take the shots because they have the revenue and profit coming in from this one genre. Whereas other companies that are aren't as stable in terms of their revenue are going to have a harder time branching out, which you're seeing that in other genres as well. I think the other thing that is maybe controversial is I've much more bullish than most people on mobile gaming market, even in a very deep recession. I don't, I think it's dangerous having been in mobile gaming for a long time. I think it's really dangerous to, to apply too much logic to human behavior and I think that's what a lot of analysts are doing when they say, oh, mobile gaming revenue is going to go down because people aren't going to have as much money. That is just like the, just like the way too logical of a statement, right? Like those dots are just, they're, they're, those are not dots that 
human beings make. I mean, let's just be honest. We're not as logically acting as we all pretend like we are. And I think that the recession, the stimulus, the isolation, the fear of going out and interacting with other people and, and the quality of mobile gaming, the, the quality entertainment source per dollar of mobile gaming will make revenue, downloads, engagement all go up. I mean, revenue will fall. Revenue is kind of the easy part, right? Like downloads is the hard part. That, that, that's the hard part. Once we have people playing, like figuring out how to monetize them is completely within our control. But I, so I'm, I'm very bullish on the mobile gaming market at this point. And I think that's controversial. I've seen some articles being posted and I've hesitated to be like responding to them. Like I, I've got, I've written paragraphs being like, are you, you know, are you like how, you know, th- I mean, at the end of the day, we have to understand that the iPhone is a, is a game boy for adults. I mean, over 70% of the revenue going into that thing is IAP purchased in a mobile game. That's a Game Boy, you know, and now we have some revenue from streaming, which is, as I mentioned, way more expensive than mobile gaming entertainment. And then you have some other stuff. You have some like little stuff. That means that it's a, it's a, it's a Game Boy for, for people who are sitting at home isolated. Now they're also getting introduced to how effective it is to keep their kids entertained. As you saw my kid come out and ask for my phone because he wants to play Clash or Roblox or whatever he wants to play. That's just going to increase engagement, uh, revenue, purchases, acceptance of mobile gaming. And so, yeah, I mean, I think my most controversial is just I'm way more bullish on what's going to happen in mobile gaming um, in the next one to three years, honestly. I I see this being as just tremendously positive. So, Yeah, I will say that to your point about kids, I've anecdotally seen a lot more like parents let their kids play games because they're sick and tired of trying to take care of them at home. <laughs> but, but not only that, I mean, the alternative is YouTube or Netflix where they just sit there staring at it as opposed right. to my son is a huge clash player as am I. And yeah. he's talking about trading cards, what cards what are, are more powerful. Just- yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, he's understanding the concepts of it. He understands clans, teams, what events, how to monitor, how to, how to basically optimize how much he's going to spend on different things. He doesn't, you know, and then as an, as a parent, I'm buying a, a 499 a battle pass once, once a month and I get, and I don't even need to do that. Right. I mean, and then we're having conversations back and forth about it as opposed to him watching some Russian girl open up packages of toys for like three hours on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, what are the other, or paying $20 a month for Disney plus or buying a movie that's going to last two hours, you know, and then, then of course he's going to go outside and play and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's just such a good entertainment source. I mean, that's the thing that I don't think we're giving ourselves enough props. I mean, we've created a really amazing entertainment source, like an unbelievable that you can actually do for free if you want for for all this time. I mean, that's kind of incredible. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit. We're always saying, well, you know, games, this game's that, but like there's no other entertainment source out there that's giving as high quality entertainment for next to nothing. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So. All right, guys. And with that, I think that's basically it for today, but maybe in conclusion, if you guys have any uh, message for the audience and it'd be great if you could let folks know how to contact you maybe starting with you Lloyd 
Well, I think the message is for everyone to stay safe. That's the most important thing right now. And you know, keep your spirits up. This you know, this is going to be ending. It's already you, you already see it kind of winding down in some places. More important than the game industry. More important than anything else is just you know everything will be you know better in the future. Uh, in terms of gaming, and if anyone's interested in reaching out to me, my email is melnick m e l n i c k dot lloyd l l o i d at gmail dot com, and I have a blog lloydmelnick.com. Uh, more than happy to you know, go in there. Is anything interesting? You know, feel free to put comments or even suggestions what I should be writing about. And thank you, Joe, for the opportunity to uh, be on your podcast. No problem, right? Yeah, I agree with Lloyd as always, or not as always, but in this case again, and that uh, you know, stay be healthy and stay stay safe is obviously most important. And secondly, I think this is an, an, a great opportunity for mobile gaming companies to take advantage of typically growth in gaming is driven by these somewhat chaotic, unexpected events. So one of my messages would be not to just sit around and wait for the dust to settle, but to capitalize on what is going on. Um, and then I want to also say, you know, the mobile gaming has a bright long-term future and that everyone should be responsible in how they act and produce games and, and think about the player and the long-term, the longevity of the relationship we have with the players and the opportunity that we've had to create games as a profession is one that's amazing. And we should really try to protect that and do, do what's right for the, you know, for players. And at this point for human beings, just all of human beings because so many people are playing games. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to reach me, you can email me at brett.novak at liquidandgrid.com or you can on LinkedIn connect with me. It's spelled N-O-W-A-K, the last name, or come or you know visit liquidandgrid.com and uh, check us out. But I'd um, love to hear from other people and always happy to talk about games. All right, awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. And that's a wrap for today. All right, bye. Thank you. Bye.